0: this week on the magnificently huge podcast it's a crazy ivan welcome to the magnificently huge podcast with your hosts eric reed brian krueger and chris ryerson three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like maybe even secretly love before we ultimately crab all over them We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome everyone once again to the Magnificently Huge podcast. My name is Brian, and this week my friends Chris and Eric will be joining me for a retrospective on the 1990 action Cold War classic, The Hunt for Red October, starring Sean Connery, Alec Baldwin, and an all-star cast of others, Um, and we've also got a... uh, Another helping of our usual segment called The Fresh Shit, where we talk about uh, movies and uh, stuff we've been watching recently, which kind of has a do-it-yourself theme to it this this week. Anyway, as always, we're trying to grow the audience of the show, so please subscribe to the podcast, rate it on your podcast app of choice, and if you want to check out old episodes, well, subscription works, or you can go to our website, maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. Uh, reach out to us on social media. We are on Twitter at MagHuge. On Facebook, we're the Magnificently Huge Podcast. We're on Instagram. You can email us magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. All right, let's get right to the show.
1: Uh. <laughs> we're back. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, exactly. Hi, Eric. How's it going? Hi. Uh-huh. Did we uh-huh. did we wake you? Uh, no, I just spent ten minutes hunting around my my room for my laptop, which was under my couch.
2: As as you should keep it there, right? It's safe under your couch, yeah, I should think. <laughs> safe for <laughs> just, me, yeah. Uh,
1: what the hell was doing under your couch? I, I I think I was like, where can I start putting this so that it's in its own place i know under here <laughs> well i wedge it under my it's couch one of those
0: yeah. genius places that you'll never lose a thing that you instantly forget exactly yeah.
2: i would say next time just yeah. uh put it on top of your head and that way you'll know right where it is
1: that's like a week of balancing
0: that's like looking for your glasses
1: while you're <laughs> exactly. wearing
0: exactly yeah. Uh, yeah well great welcome to the show everybody yeah, we're- this is a magnificent huge podcast my name is brian this is
2: chris i'm eric and, uh, man, we're uh, <laughs> we're really rolling today, aren't we? <laughs> yes, indeedy. <absolutely. laughs> yeah.
0: I'm not sure. Yes. We are recording yes. this on Father's Day 2020, um, for those of you who care. Is it? Yeah. Which is nobody on the show, so let's get going. Bam. Uh. Uh,
2: <laughs> did you, would you just want to roll into the fresh shit, then? Yes. This shit is fresh. <laughs> The stuff is really enough with the damn do, pleasantries do yeah. yes
0: watching and no obviously we're not pleasant
1: so <laughs> speak <laughs> for yourself d-bag we okay. go into this with no prep understand we just we just say well, are we ready and then we, well, we do a, a clapper and boom th- we're hitting the I, ground running
2: i think you're the only one that comes in with no prep because oh, you yeah. do like 30 minutes before you do questions like, what was the topic this week? And then- <laughs> oh, I do that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you give it a couple of days, Brian. Like, Eric is notorious for like an hour before. What were we supposed to do today? <laughs> so, yeah. It's it's a marvel that he can so- speak to anything. <laughs> so, I yeah, salute I you, know. sir. Since you're so prepared, I'm Chris, what fresh shit have you brought to
0: the show this What week? have I
2: brought? Oh, well... Yeah. Uh, one of them is sort of a random tangent to today's topic of the Hunt for Red October. Because uh, on Amazon Prime, they've got a crap ton of the Jerry and Sylvia Anderson TV shows from the 60s, the Super Mary Nation stuff. It's like Thunderbirds. Oh, okay. Uh, Fireball X ten or fifteen or whatever. Joe ninety. So there's one on there called. St- Were you inspired by me doing Team America last week? Uh, is that what happened? A little happened bit, a little or? bit, yeah, a little bit. Okay. Uh, but they've got one that's called Stingray.
1: Stand by for action. We are about to launch Stingray.
2: It was an earlier one, starting at like sixty-four, and that one is centered on like a underwater security force. So there's a lot of submarine stuff. Uh, Nice. And they're called WASP. uh, Which I won't even make you guess what (laughs) what WASP stands for because it's really stupid but it's like the World Aquanaut Security Patrol or some shit like that. Uh, But (laughs) basically they're just a bunch of white people uh, patrolling the seas and they're called WASP, which made (laughs) me laugh. Uh... And it's just your typical like Thunderbird puppet bullshit, uh, but the sets and production design are impeccable. I'm always amazed when I watch these shows because there's so much detail. I don't know when the last time you watched one of these things were, but uh, it's just insane because they've got like equipment and rockets and ships and things that have platforms that come up out of the ground yeah. and the sea and whatever, and, and they're like on cantilevers and they're just engineered. Ridiculously.
0: Uh yeah, it's like a bunch of model train enthusiasts got bored at about age thirteen and were like, okay, how can we take this to the next yeah, level?
2: And it's
1: totally like, next level. I always Seriously. wonder if there was a toy manufacturer behind those shows. Like, let's make it look really good so we can sell this shit. But I've never seen any like Thunderbirds stuff in no. the wild. No,
2: that was just their uh their deal. Uh I don't know for whatever reason they just thought that was the way to go about it. But all their shows are just these insanely designed techno futures uh that look really fucking cool and that's the reason that i still watch it i'm almost 50 i mean it's like this is just gobsmacking but stingray is
0: just so does it does it hold up just in in general or is it a nostalgia thing because as a kid like the thing about that was that that was as close as you could get to good special effects on a tv budget yeah
2: Well, no, no. you know, it was coming from the 60s. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I don't watch it now as an adult and go, oh, that's amazing! But I have a deep respect for the level of detail that goes into the way they produced it. Because the stories are just asinine. And everything is ruined the minute they bring in one of their characters and it's just a fucking puppet <laughs> on strings. going blah, 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 blah. And then whenever they hand something to one of their puppets, they literally do a cutaway scene and it's, it's actual human hands like grabbing and pulling. And it's always very disconcerting because <laughs> then they cut back to the puppets and they're like these weird knobby plastic hands. It's like, what in the fuck is going on? Uh, but in this one, it's, uh, the main character is like, uh, what's his name? Troy Tempest. He's the main wasp guy, and he shoots out from the underwater base to go find all these weird underwater sea civilizations that would do us harm. Uh, so it's like... star they are like sea monster puppets? Yeah, basically. Uh, yes. It's like, they, they, they just designed him differently. Like the first episode, they literally look like Creature from the Blacker Gloon- Lagoon kind of thing. And the, mm-hmm. the main one... Fishman. Yeah. And... And for some reason, the Anderson stuff, they always had their main villains. Uh, they talk like Peter Lorre. <laughs> I guess that means it's, they're bad. So it's always very strange. Uh, but in the first episode of Stingray, they save a slave girl from the big bad, and she's mute. And her name is Marina. And for some reason she becomes part of the team, even though in every episode so far she just stands in the back and just doesn't do anything. <laughs> Cause she's a she's a mute. And so they didn't have her so it's talk. Like a planet of the apes thing. Yeah. Or something. And they yeah. and they modeled her sort of to be like hot, but like in this world because they're puppets, it's sort of like if Ursula Andress was like a burn victim. I mean, it's just <laughs> the weirdest shit. It's ah, <laughs>
1: awesome. But she's
2: supposed to be super hot, and so she's the love interest for the main guy Troy Tempest. And then it's I don't I don't I'm waiting for her importance to come into play because so far, like a couple episodes in, she literally does nothing. And then they end the show instead of doing the.
0: I, I think her importance is to be hot, mute, and a slave. I guess, which right? is probably like, what to, okay. Troy Tempest
2: wants in a woman. I guess. Uh, but they, mm-hmm. like, they start every episode with the guy like sort of giving the lowdown this is Wasp or whatever and then they like get ready for 30, 30 minutes of action and then they do the cuts and blah 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 and then they do the, the show and then they end it and they, they've got some like I don't even know the name of the, the guy singing the song but he's like some sort of like crooner from the era uh, Gary Miller or something is his name and he does this song called Aquamarina and it's like Marina Marina and they cut the end credits over like Marina the puppet like now swimming underwater and doing like little mermaid shits <laughs> it's like what, what in the hell is going on it's the weirdest damn show so
1: if you that's, like, that's awesome. where, where are you watching this? Again? Yeah, it's
2: on Amazon, Amazon Prime. Uh, just look, wow. just look up Thunderbirds, Stingray, Joe ninety. It's like got all of the Supermarionation stuff. Uh, it's not quite as good as Thunderbirds to me. That's always sort of the preeminent property of theirs.
1: I wish
0: these people would have made an actual like Voltron style show where they are all of their oh, yeah, ships yeah. would then form a giant <laughs> metal robot. Oh, I
2: just wish like, yeah. Can you imagine? I think they had something like that on Thunderbirds if I remember vaguely. Uh but yeah. Well, the Thunderbirds they always, yeah, they severed. had, like
1: like like ship 1 and 2 and th- we're going to need th- we're yeah. going to need 7 and we're going to need 4 and <laughs> But yeah. I don't think they ever. Connected they even did a whole, up, m- but I mean that does feel very Battle of the Planets. Yeah. Right. Well, Thunderbirds was awesome
2: because they actually had a feature film called Thunderbird Six, and it was like about the Thunderbird Six vehicle getting stolen or something. Huh. Uh, I think that's the one that actually had a puppet Cliff Richard scene in it. Uh, where he was singing a song on the moon wow. or something. <laughs> they're, just, they're just weird, man. They're just weird, and I love them to death because they're just so much detail. Like, the puppets are, are freaky, and they take you out of any sort of uh, like connection to the material. Uh, but if, if you do it <laughs> from the mindset of like a seven- or eight-year-old, it's just phenomenal. Because you sort of forget that they're puppets from time to time. Until they do, like, the weird, here's, here's a hand grabbing a thing, and then, oh, no, it's not a hand. It's, what, what is going on? <laughs> and they kind of just flop around like puppets. It's weird. Uh, but, yeah, they're all on Amazon if you want to look them up, because they're just, they're a good nostalgia trip. I'll tell you that right now. And that's literally all I've been watching all week. <laughs> My own.
0: <laughs> Eric, what you got this week?
1: I watched a film called 7500. Uh, uh it's it's free on Amazon and I highly recommend it. It's one of the smartest thrillers I have seen in a very long time because it doesn't use any incidental music and it all takes place in the cockpit of a plane. That's it. Interesting. It it uh really? you see I- the rest of the plane, but you see it like through the doorway only. We never we never, the camera never travels out there. It's like in the background. The entire thing takes place in the cockpit of a plane that is being hijacked. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt really? is the co-pilot of the plane. Uh, and he, they have to keep the terrorists out of the cabin. His girlfriend and mother of his child is one of the stewardesses on the plane. Uh of course. No, you, that's the thing. These are. It feels cheesy until you, I guess, describing it. But in truth, there's like I said, there's there's no cheating. There's no uh, jump scares. It okay. and it's all.
0: So is, this is a recent thing because I mean Joseph. Yeah. Uh,
1: I guess it came out. I guess yeah. they finished it last year, but it's it it got released just in the last couple of days on amazon as an amazon studios uh thing but you know they bought it from someone it was made in austria and i swear the entire set is just this cockpit which i think is probably a flight simulator is it like on a Hmm. a gimbal and such um trying to think it's not a whole lot of tilting around like you know Okay. like when red October so dives the whole thing or something. is just yeah, so it's literally
2: just <laughs> in in a cockpit and that's that's the whole factor yeah
1: then they interesting
0: so cinematography yeah challenge and it
1: all looks great challenge. i mean it's it, it, yeah, it's mm. the plane taking off getting hijacked uh you know so how how transferable would it be
2: to say, like a like a stage play? Like, could you see this being adapted for community theater?
1: I don't know. Yeah, somebody'll do it. I'm sure. Seems <laughs> uh, okay.
0: Seems like they'd have to do a lot with um, close ups and facial expressions to really kind of sell the tension of some of this stuff. I think I'm, it be, sounds. I think so. To
1: me, you know, actually, I think a lot of it also is. Sh- him looking behind himself at the monitor that shows what's going on in the cabin. Right. Cause they're trying to break down the okay. door and they can't get the door open to the cockpit. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, maybe you have like a, 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 a projected TV showing that. And then when you want to show the front of the plane as you know, a lot of what you see is out of the cockpit window I, I i I can't tell you more than that, but so the the plane is flying, it's not
2: on a tarmac. No, no, it's yeah, it's in flight. Okay, so we don't get like a a delta
1: force situation. uh no, no, no. At that's one point okay. you do get jet fighters escorting mm-hmm. the plane because that's what happens. That's another thing. Everything in <laughs> yeah. this is very this is what happens, you know. It's, it's not okay. uh f- very fantasy.
2: Okay. I should have had the chicken. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, I recommend effort. this. Uh, okay.
0: Huh, that's really trying Intr- like yeah. that.
1: That's So two for- how,
0: What was this? Do you know any of the story behind like how this got produced? Was this one of his like cuz Joseph Gordon-Levitt's like trying to encourage people to crowdfund stuff and and crowdsource talent is uh, one of those. no
1: no he was actually a replacement casting for paul dano um it was it, it was oh, made okay like in austria uh it takes place in, on a flight from berlin to hanover um everyone in the film except jo- joseph gordon levitt is uh foreign um and you can you can you okay. can tell this was like a brilliant budgetary choice, uh, but it still doesn't Which look is, it doesn't look cheap. It doesn't look
2: hmm. This seems like a, like Amazon's doing a lot of stuff like this because I will tell you that Brian, I did find that uh, Dave made a maze is also on Amazon. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, is it? But it seems okay. fairly similar. They're snagging up like tight budget. But well-produced yeah. smaller yeah. films. Uh, this
0: is this is our theme this week. Yeah. <laughs>
2: so there you go. Well, apart from Stingray, that thing was like twenty twenty thousand pounds an episode back in nineteen sixty. Mm. But
1: claustrophobia—figure certainly contained yeah. spaces.
2: So there you go. S- nice. All oh. right. What else you got? Are yeah, you that's got it. it. What do you okay. got, Brian? So I'll talk,
0: about, I'll talk about my cut rate stuff. First, let's talk about the world of video games, because this is normally the week when we should have had the E3 Expo. Yeah. Um, E3 is the annual gaming industry blowout convention that takes place at the stable, well, at the L.A. Convention Center next yeah. door to the Stable Center, it's like the, and at the Stable Center, and at the EA venue down the street. It's like the Comic-Con it's, of it's video this, games. It's like, this giant... Yeah, it's the Comic-Con of video games, and it's pretty much what all of the video game press then, you know, milks for all of their coverage for the entire year. Yeah. And there is no E3 this year. Even if there wasn't coronavirus, there kind of wasn't going to be an E3 this year because Sony pulled out of it. Microsoft has been sort of doing their own E3 event at the Staple Center, which is just across <laughs> the street. Uh, EA has been a few miles away in L.A. for years now, and so E3 has been slowly atrophying. And now this year, it's just completely collapsed. And what's interesting is to watch... The attempts of the universe to try and somehow fill the E3
2: void. It's <laughs> like the, like so, Cornhole with sports that we talked <laughs> about recently.
0: <laughs> it kind of is. So here's the thing, right? So Nintendo, you, they still do an E3 booth, but they had, they had premiered the Nintendo Directs years ago. And the, and so Nintendo kind of showed the way of like, you know, we could do just like a produced video and put it on the <laughs> internet and, it serves the same purpose as these big, expensive press conferences, without all of the potential for things going horribly wrong in a live show. Yeah, um, you know, and people have started to kind of move in that direction. But in general, an E3 has been like the big publishers has been like the Sony press conference and the and the Microsoft press conference and Bethesda and EA and Ubisoft, and they all kind of do these things on a weekend, and it's this big blowout in it, and it basically crowds out. You know, E3 is full of indie games. Hundreds of indie games come out every week, and no one hears shit about them. Well, this year, we've got shows with hundreds of indie games crowding out the big publishers, because what's happened <laughs> is two competing groups have been trying to sort of be the new E3. Um, there's Jeff Keeley who does the Game Awards, and he's tried to do the Summer Games Festival, which is just really just a website where he tries to tell you about all the events that various groups are doing and and tries to somehow make him the umbrella for it all and reveal That's the trailers sad. and stuff, but he's been com- completely <laughs> lapped by this fella, Greg Miller, who used to work at IGN and now does a thing called Kind of Funny. And Greg Miller has organized multiple shows and gotten them all to be like collaborative. So there's been like the Gorilla, they call it the Gorilla Collective. There's the PC Gaming Show. There's the Future Gaming Show. And Greg Miller hosts the EA Show. And so he has basically turned this whole thing into his show. And he's just showing off hundreds (laughs) of indie games and took over E3. Um, I don't know what to say about it other than I found that backstage intrigue more interesting than the game announcements. This is a year where we're supposed to get a new generation of consoles. The PS5, the Xbox Series X. There's so much shit getting announced, none of it's sticking in my head. I can't remember anything. It's just games, games, games. Nothing's sticking out.
2: Well, I had uh, some colleagues that uh, were so... were uh, excited about the PS5 doing the Spider-Man game, because they could do Miles Morales. Uh, and then, yeah, that conversation yeah, lasted like... Just... like- 10 minutes, and then we totally forgot about it. That seems to be the flavor. But
0: that's just a glorified expansion pack for the Spider-Man game that came out a couple years yeah. ago, and it's also probably going to come out on PS4, unless Sony just doesn't want it. The only interesting one is the new Ratchet & Clank, which actually makes use of the PS5 hardware in interesting ways. Um, okay. But, but in all honesty, man, it's just... Games have gone completely berserk, and at this point, it's impossible to follow. There's just too, too damn much... Um oh yeah the one the one funny trend um everyone had been feeling like hey there haven't been any good skateboarding games and then all of a sudden this year everyone decided this was the year <laughs> to bring back skateboarding so They've got a Tony Hawk 1 and 2 remaster, but then there's, like, this cute indie game called Skatebird where you're a bird riding <laughs> a skateboard. And then there's, like, a, a couple other skateboarding games where people are trying interesting control m- mechanics where, like, the thumbsticks you are are shifting your weight on your feet and actually trying to simulate how skating really works. And then, of course, EA announced a new skate. So all of a sudden from, like, hey, there's no skate games to, like, now there's way too many skate games. So
2: good job everybody <laughs> you know in all honesty i don't think i've ever had a discussion with
1: anybody in the video game realm where they went
2: you know i really need a new skateboard game
1: i mean that's never i, been a combo. I, I like to imagine every company has that one guy in the back room who's kind of short bald fat has a mustache and smokes a cigar going okay here's what the kids want <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> i want to see gleam gleaming the cube ollie on the dime come on you bitches Give it a beat, yeah. a well, bouncy they much beat.
0: had to have a guy like that to re-release Tony Hawk 1 and 2 because they had to do a bunch of music licensing deals to pull yeah. that off. Yeah. Um, That's true. Anyway, okay. Uh,
1: by remastered, are so, they yeah, actually E3's like been
0: taken over by Taking the
1: of- old game and just sort of making it look pretty or are they have they redesigned levels and junk? I mean, I'm trying to imagine I mean, how you would
0: they they have to keep the levels pretty much the same because people have memorized yeah. those maps so intensely. They so the so like the game collision and stuff. But they have you can do manuals in Tony Hawk One now, for example. So the the mechanics are are evened out. So it's kind of both. I don't know. It, it, they I'm not sure if they've got one of those things where you can flip between the old graphics and the new graphics. Uh-huh. I think they do because some of the remasters do that. Oh um, okay. But yeah, no, they're actually going in and really working on the controls and and uh, making everything mm. modernized. So that should be interesting. Um but yeah, E3's kinda of been taken over by a bunch of scrappy independents and then and then there's my other fresh shit. Um,
2: <laughs> oh boy, are there no movies? Um, <laughs> you gotta make so your own I fun, watched. man. You gotta make your own fun. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, I watched a movie, I think you can call it a movie. I don't well, I watched something called Crazy World.
2: Crazy World. I know. Who is Crazy? Um, was that, oh, was that the, uh, the, the the trailer? trailer? Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so Crazy World is a a movie made by a studio that calls themselves Wakaliwood, Wakali which Wakali is, World. is this dude in Uganda who taught himself how to edit video by watching like Udemy courses or something. <laughs> and his movie budgets are literally like $200 or less and he just gets all the people in his shantytown to like do shit. And they make these action movies on
2: no budget and it's insane.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, that,
2: that trailer you sent looked ridiculous because there's like a bunch of little kids sitting around going, do you know Kung Fu. Lot, yeah, I know how to kick from football. And then they do, like, some explosions. And yeah. Then, and then, and, and then like it's
0: little kids doing yeah. kung fu with, with shitty composited explosions. <laughs> yeah. No. yeah. Okay. so Here's the thing, though. If you watch the trailer for Crazy World, right, there's, like, this really hyper-announcer guy. Well, here's what you don't understand is that that's part of the movie.
1: The whole movie <laughs> is like
0: that. So apparently... When they make these movies in Uganda, they, they immediately go out. They know they've got one week to make their money before it's just completely bootlegged into oblivion. And so what they do is they go out and they show the movie in wherever they show them. Like, I guess this guy has only ever been to a movie theater once in his life, and that was in Toronto. But um, <laughs> they show the movie wherever they show it. But because there's so many people who speak so many different dialects, the movie has what's called a video joker, a VJ, and um, he's like the hype man for the movie, and he's talking over the movie the whole time, and he's just dropping references like, oh, it's commando time, or it's Ugandan Hulk, or... Sometimes he just goes, movie, 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 movie you know, movie. And, and he's like sitting here just yelling about like, you know, hey, this is, this is from Wakali World, the the best action movies of Uganda, you Uganda's know, and he's just, he's movies. just crazy talking the whole time. And this guy has subtitles because his accent is thick, they're in a different color. It's just madness.
2: <laughs> yeah, the the nearest approximation I could come up with when you were showing it when you like sent us that link was the uh-huh. the bit from Rick and Morty where it's the the trailer for two brothers and it's just like even more ridiculous movie trailery action stuff. Uh and it just keeps going into <laughs> more absurd realms. Because uh, it's like it's two brothers, only they're real brothers and they get into all kinds of fights and then a Mexican space armada shows up and tomatoes and Oh, yeah, there's old ladies. I mean, it's just like the guy making it up as he goes along. That's literally what it reminded me of.
0: So there's a bit of a culture shock, because first of all, like, you know, this is shot in a little village where they just kind of dump the trash in the middle of the village, and there's this giant pile of trash, and they use that, and there's raw sewage, and they use that, and, and like, the they, I guess they built, like, a fake helicopter facade out of scrap metal, and they use it in all of their movies. Um... <laughs> And like um, the the plot is around child abduction and killing them for luck, which uh, the way it plays out, it seems very much like child abduction is just sort of a normal fact of life for the people who made this movie. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's a movie about you know stopping the guys that kidnap children. Like like always happens. Yeah. Right?
1: <laughs> well, they're at least yeah. they're coming down on the correct side of that uh, equation, right?
0: They are. They are. It's and not, not about two badass. two
1: hapless guys who are like, "Hey, you know what we ought to do? Kidnap us some babies."
2: <laughs> It'd make a movie. Although There are
0: jokes about child kidnapping that are kind of kind of weird. It's what um, it's what you do. It's what you do. But the other thing is that they, um, you know, like I said, they 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 are very aware of like bootlegging and piracy. And so, like the first thing that happens is this whole other thing that is called piracy hunter, and they've got like the piracy cops that are chasing people down who are watching this movie, and and fucking them up and putting them, you know, putting people in uh, in a dungeon. It's like Yo, all I did was watch Rambo. Yeah, fuck you, you know. And um, <laughs> and then there's another scene where they 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 just you know non sequitur, just cut away, and it's like uh, this dude who's hawking CDs of this artist. And he's like, do you know the artist? Cause I'm the artist. And he fucks up the guy who's like bootlegging his CD. It has nothing to do with the movie. It's just there. Or uh, <laughs> a, a character will show up and he's like, this is this character. And he was in this other movie. And then they just start showing clips from the other movie. It's, 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 so it's, just, it's gonzo. So it's wow. very stream
2: of consciousness. Yeah. That it's, sounds, yeah, that sounds right at home freak. on Rick and Morty. That sounds right at home. This,
0: this makes Maharashak Aryan look expensive.
2: Okay. Like. <laughs> yeah, but I wonder how it rates to compared to like Stingray. That's really what I want to know.
0: <laughs> it's Stingray also probably looks anyway.
2: <laughs>
0: I don't know that I would recommend it, other than at least watch the trailer. And if you if the trailer intrigues you, the movie's only an hour long, so you know, go with that. Money
2: well spent. Crazy world. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Wow! and and that's the fresh shit that's all i got
2: so so whose idea was this this was my
0: idea okay because it's because
2: it's uh did you pick it because it literally the hunt for october just turned 30 or was that just uh, accidental
0: no um I just, you know, we we do shows every now and then where it's like, hey, here's Buckaroo Banzai, or here's Brazil, or here, you know, we, we do these shows about movies that we dug back in the day, and I was like, I haven't seen The Hunt for Red October in forever, and I remember liking it, I want to watch it, and...
1: Uh, Sure, podcast. That sounds like a good show. Okay, we'll do the hunt for Red October. I think also the
0: the whole thought process,
1: the proximity (laughs) to Father's Day, I think also works because this is the ultimate dad movie. It really is. (laughs) Like that's that literally
2: was one of the first things that rolled through my mind. Uh, Every dad is. Oh yeah, hunt for Red October is (laughs) fucking yeah, right on. Yeah. Well, and it's it's just set the stage because it's literally uh, a submarine techno thriller. And it's part of that weird subgenre of film that doesn't have a lot of movies, but it's it's got enough that are considered quote unquote classics. Uh, but I would definitely rate this one near the top of the pile uh, for those movies. Oh yeah, uh, there are very few that I would say are better than this, but it's it's a tough call.
0: It it is it is literally like the first big 90s action movie. This movie came out in like March of 1990. <laughs> yeah. And Yeah. It it really does, I think, set the tone for the 90s action. I mean, I mean Die Hard sets the tone for the 90s action movie, but um same director. Um, yeah. That Bob was Tiernan.
2: Yeah, that was kicking this ass is,
0: all over the place. This
2: is sort of the end of a really hardcore run for him cuz he did Predator, got Die Hard and then followed up with this. Uh, so that's a trifecta right there. Uh, I'm sad that he f- followed this up with Medicine Man.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh,
2: sorry, it just makes me laugh thinking about it. You you found a cure for cancer? I Says lost it. You know, like you lose your car keys. <laughs> uh, but but end, like, starting with Predator and then ending with... Hunt for Red October, that is not a bad run by any account because they're all bafo bafo no. movies. So good on you.
0: Just stone-cold classics. Yeah. I mean, Hunt for Red October is such a well-made movie. That was my big takeaway watching it again is just like you're immediately sucked in. The... Everything is working. The pacing is is spot on. The lighting is spot on. The cinematography is spot on. You're you're pulled into it. The title treatments are great. The way they handle uh, the transition from Russian to English was was rev- revelatory at the time. You know, it was it was kind of setting the standard. Every the music, Basil Polidori's is back. Yes. the guy who did RoboCop and Conan, right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> he's a he's a big one. So it just it just clicks, and every scene has its purpose, and every it's just a machine of a movie. Well, it's so I, well made.
2: I like it that it it came out in early 1990 a- after the Cold War was effectively over. I mean, we would entered. Right. The age of uh, the new Russia where Glasnost, et cetera, perestroika. That's actually
1: uh, an interesting story. They Sean Connery was a last minute casting and they mm-hmm. sent him the script, but I guess had left off the first page for some reason that explains <laughs> that this is you know, <laughs> taking place as a period piece, basically. And he was yeah. like, this isn't going to make any sense. There's no more uh, uh, yeah. uh, Soviet Union.
2: Yeah. Well, it's very shrewd for them to keep it uh, in 84, uh, even though most of it looks like it's very updated to, quote-unquote,
1: 1990. Uh, Was there a big difference technologically? It's only six years.
2: Yeah. So it's, you know, it's just fun. It's, It's sort of a weird, like, peon to Cold War movies that really will never happen again. This pretty much came out, boom, right at the end, and I think it's just the ultimate capper on that era because uh, you just don't see it anymore. Like it's, you'd have to make a movie period if you were going to do that sort of topic again. Yeah. So they hit just at the right time. Yeah. But it's funny that the, the Clancy book, Tom Clancy wrote the book in like, like 82 or something. And it got published in 84 and became a big bestseller and sort of reinvigorated the whole techno thriller genre but nobody wanted to make the movie because <laughs> it was just too complicated and too bloated yeah. and la la la. And it literally took them that long to get it made, which is just astonishing to me. And then once you but get that, boom, he's off and running in
1: that now. It always looks that way. Doesn't it? When you, when it's a success and you look back and you go, Oh my God, why didn't you know that in the future, this would be awesome. But yeah, <laughs> it had all the earmarks of, a uh, Oh uh, yeah, no. Yeah. I, I I think well, they wanted Kevin Costner for uh, Jack Ryan, mm-hmm. but he was like, yeah. "I'm I yeah, I'm doing this this other thing, you know, with Indians and Buffalo." <laughs>
2: yeah, basically. They're like, are you out of your mind? You're <laughs> stupid, Buffalo. Yeah. Well, then they like they <laughs> to talked tonka. to like uh, they had talked to. A slew of actors, like Costner is one of them, but I think Val Kilmer was in there. At one point, they had talked to Bruce Willis. I mean, it was just a, like all these actors are just totally wrong for the yeah. role of Jack Ryan. And for my money, Alec, Alec Baldwin, Baldwin is, is still the best perfect.
1: one. Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, so...
0: I, I got into Clancy because of this movie. I, I actually have never bothered to read the book of The Hunt for Red October, so I think this colors my, my perception because in all of the other cases I had read the book before seeing yeah. the movie uh, for Clancy stuff, I've never bothered to read the book for Red October because the movie is so perfect. But having seen Hunt for Red October, as I was reading all of those books, in the same way that like the Harry Potter cast sort of took over those books, yeah. uh, Alec Baldwin was always Jack Ryan. When I was reading these books, I couldn't disassociate him with the character. So when they recast the part as Harrison Ford for Patriot Games, yeah. uh, that just was. Well, that did not work. Well, that's a that bunch was of. not Jack Ryan.
2: That's a bunch of producers and studio bullshit right there. Because there were like negotiations for Alec Baldwin coming back and he was pushing for more money. And then at the same time, Paramount, who had considered Harrison Ford for this one for *Hunt for October*, but that didn't happen. So how weird would that have been? Like uh, '89, you get *Indiana Jones: The Last Crusade* with Connery and Ford, and then a year later (laughs) you get *Hunt for October* with Connery and Ford. Uh, But they they had another project for ford that fell through and so they said well we can just for the same kind of money that we could give alec baldwin to come back we could just give it to ford and we would get that immediate name recognition because he's a much bigger star and mm. then everything sort of dissolved and then poor alec baldwin had to go play like the
1: iceman cometh
2: on Broadway Shadow. or something yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so so that's yeah the story that there. was
1: that was that was that that was awful I mean, yeah. I, I was like, he's, he's now the perfect guy. He has he has created this character that nobody was aware of. You need yeah. an unknown to create a character like that. And then to give it to Harrison Ford, it's like, ah, Ooh. and then, yeah. and then to make one of the worst films ever. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah, Patriot Games was terrible. Yeah. Uh, it's
2: well it had yeah, there wasn't a lot going yeah, we, for it. Yeah,
0: we will that's not yeah, I mean for another day. Both of the Harrison
2: Ford ones, but yeah, I think that's a whole other show. Yeah. But um, but you can see that the the sequels they were sort of baked in because they had a big hit, but they couldn't really bring on any of the the same people.
1: And so it all sort of just fell apart from there. Yeah, I mean, uh, if they'd Yon have kept Devont the production the designer, that's what they needed—the cinematographer and the production mm-hmm. designer, because everything in *Hunt for Red October* looks scary techno. I mean, it, yeah. it looks like real. It looks like real military sort of technology. Yeah, and the other two, they look like a series of offices. basically yeah and they're flat in
0: fairness is is the setting for a significant portion of the books that tom clancy writes is a series of offices
2: but but uh, it also (laughs) it also plays to the strengths of hunt for october wherein the bulk of the movie literally the first two-thirds at least uh there's not a lot of action it's just a lot of people sitting around talking about strategy and this and that but they make it seem so intense it's almost like you don't need a fight scene. They've got two guys sort of talking about the strategy and the chess game going on, and it it just it's exciting somehow. I don't know how they pull that shit yeah. off. It's weird. There's
0: so much subtext in everybody's facial expressions. I mean, you got to give it up to Sean Connery and Sam Neill and Alec Baldwin for just, and even uh, Scott Glenn, yeah, uh, for just selling the. You know the thoughts going on in the character's head behind the lines are just as important to how this movie plays out than the actual words on the page yeah
2: it's it's um, fun uh, but I like that it, the the basic setup where they they go on the hunch of Alec Baldwin, they realize that Captain Ramius played by Connery, is trying to defect and give them this first strike weapon so that you know pu- you know everybody's on an even playing field militarized military wise. And then, Mm -hmm. and so then it becomes this like cat and mouse game to find the sub and protect it and figure out the way to do it. So at times it's like a weird, like super techno heist movie. Uh, Other times it feels like it could totally translate to a Star Trek film almost uh because when i was watching yeah, him I'm like they're the ship battles yeah the ship battles they're on the bridges but then you also can see like say captain kirk is jack ryan so then you get that whole thing where he's got to get over to the other ship i mean literally i'm watching it again going this would have made a really kick-ass star trek movie. uh <laughs> i did not put that together yeah. i'm embarrassed Yes, of <laughs> so, course. <laughs> so it's you know uh but i love the fact that that you have the two main characters ryan and ramius And they don't meet until like the last 30 minutes of the damn movie. It is, it's like structurally it shouldn't work, but then it somehow does. And you're like, oh yeah, it makes perfect sense. It's perfect. (laughs) It's
1: so weird to me. Well, you're running two different stories at the same time and then they intersect. So it's like they don't even need to meet really.
0: Well, and that's very Clancy, right? And that's why the book was hard to film because Clancy books tend to be, you know, here's like a half a dozen plots taking place all over the world and then they all converge at the end, yeah. right? And, and so this is a pared down version of that, but uh, I think it works and it's evocative of the Clancy style.
2: Yeah. I haven't read um, any of his other books. This is the only one I've actually read. Uh, yeah. So I'll take your word for it. Clear and
0: present danger all the way. Read that.
2: Okay which one does uh does jack ryan actually become president oh uh, that's the
1: the plane crash into the congress one
2: uh well that's like (laughs) okay
0: i'm (laughs) getting getting with honor or something Uh, like uh, that but it's i think the first one where he's actually president is without remorse no no that's the that's the one
1: about his bodyguard and how he became a fucking terminator right, right now, um, which is a um, great book is. i love that one that's the vietnam one right yeah With Clark.
2: anyway um i digress but yeah, the uh, one
0: where he actually becomes president uh isn't very good but the one where he's president is okay i can't remember the name of it now okay whatever um well i yeah so this movie has an all-star cast uh we've got james earl jones as admiral greer Perfect yeah. casting. This is Jack he's, Ryan's mentor in the CIA. He's like the only uh, one that, that's again, the flow through. You know, as described in the books, yeah, he he's he's perfect casting.
2: And he's For the only he's yeah.
0: sort of tough when he needs to be, but good mentor. Yeah.
2: But he's the the continuity through the rest of the early films, like the first three. He's the only one that shows up in all of yeah. them. Yeah. So But I like when uh when they're in the talking to uh, pelt the secretary of defense and Jack Ryan goes all ballistic on the general for shooting him down <laughs> you can see J- mm-hmm. it's a totally throwaway and uh, you wouldn't like it, totally actively but you can see James Earl Jones sort of just reaching not even looking at Alec Baldwin but, like reaching across and grabbing his wrist like oh please god just fucking stop <laughs> it's just a really fun moment it's a throwaway but every time I watch it I'm like oh that's perfect it's so perfect uh, <laughs>
0: Pelt was the ambassador, right? As, as well. Is that
2: right? Yeah, he's the one that keeps talking to the Russian ambassador. Are so. you mean to tell me that you lost another yeah. ship? <laughs> so, uh,
0: Yeah, those scenes are great. Like, what great Cold War stuff is that? Where it's just the two guys yeah. doing diplomacy, and again, everything is subtext, right?
1: Yeah. Well, it's fun because- I remember seeing this movie at the Cine Capri, and- uh, I think it was the second time I'd seen it so it was really just you know a oh well let me find all the things I've missed I already know how this movie goes uh, but there was some older woman on a date with her husband or her you know sugar daddy or something she, this, this woman like was looked nice but was older and was dumb as a rock and <laughs> because every time something had happened she'd go oh no you know, and I'm not sure if she was trying to fuck with her husband or if she was really this stupid. I just remember yeah. when they were talking about, you know, Captain Ramius has stolen the boat and he may you know the moment where you know the ambassador is lying to try and get the US to chase down the ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's all Oh no. Oh dear. Yeah, yeah I'm You uh, she's
0: shut just up. One of those dumb people who can't process the movie unless it comes out of their own damn mouth. Yeah. Right you right. people need to stop going to movie theaters yes,
2: yes. oh shit but uh <laughs> but yeah the, the cast is, is very well done I mean you get like uh stellar Skarsgård showing up in an earlier role uh as Tupolov, who's the Tupolov other sub-commander for the Russians who ends up getting his ass handed to him because he's arrogant.
1: Um, Tupolev has very r- little room <laughs> in his heart for anyone but Tupolev.
2: <laughs> That's,
1: yeah. But the special props to everything Connery
2: related into this movie as well. Because he's playing a Russian commander, but he he's, he's Sean Connery for fuck's sake, so he doesn't have to lose the Scottish accent if he doesn't want to. <laughs> and so it's very odd at first... <laughs> Just <laughs> to, to watch this happen, because even when he's doing the Russian lines, he still sounds like Sean Connery speaking Russian lines. Uh, <laughs> but we're Americans, and it just yeah. sounds foreign. To yeah. us. So
0: you know, fine, whatever, yeah. sure.
2: But they, well, all True. the other guys sound British. So <laughs> who cares? Yeah. Well, that's like anybody that complains about that kind of stuff in a movie like this. I'm like, uh, get get over yourself, yeah. seriously. I, I go back. Not-
0: Sam Neill is trying yeah. to put on a Russian accent, but he's playing off of Sean Connery, yeah. so he has this sort of like half Russian, half Scottish thing. Yeah, yeah. Going on.
1: I don't know, uh, but then you have um 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 what's his name, Doctor Frankenfurter, um, Tim, Tim Curry. Tim Curry. Yeah. He's not bothering with this, is he? No, no. no, he kind of has an accent. Uh, eh, I don't know. Maybe. I think accents are stupid. If you're supposed to be speaking Russian, you should be using your own voice yeah. because there, there's no Russian accent speaking Russian. There's yeah. just somebody speaking Russian.
2: Well, Brian did bring up the conceit earlier, uh, how they, they got around this. And yeah, at the time, it was kind of jarring, but also amazing that they- do all the Russian scenes early where they're speaking Russian, and then when Ramius has the meeting with the special officer from the Kremlin. The,
0: the, the political officer yeah.
2: from the Kremlin, whose name is Putin, Yeah, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Foreshadowing? And so he's reading from uh, a Bible that Ramius has with quotes and underlines and stuff, and then... When they get to the word Armageddon from the passage, apparently it's the same in Russian as it is in English, and that's where they switch. So the camera focuses in on the guy's mouth. He says Armageddon, and then he's starting to speak English, and then the rest of the movie until the very end. Uh, I thought that was a brilliant way to get around it, because when I first watched it in the theater, uh, I thought, man, if every time they do the Russian scenes, they're all talking in Russian and they have to subtitle it, that's going to get tedious. And so that was their workaround, and I think it's mm-hmm. it's fabulous. And McTiernan did it again, I think, in the Thirteenth Warrior uh, as well. So apparently yes. he liked it enough to copy it. So kudos.
0: I mean, it's it's a genius move. It, well, it, everybody immediately gets it. Yeah, and that's the thing is that this this movie is so clear about how it wants to communicate the tension, how it wants to communicate the geography. It. They they're just really thought it out in terms of the language of cinema.
2: On well, this thing. and even like Eric was saying, like Jan de Bont as the, the DP, uh, they color-coded all of the internal subsets so you would know which one you were on mm-hmm. when they would do the intercut. And I think the Dallas was red. I think the Tupolev ship was green, I think, and then the Red October was blue when they would do the interiors. And so you kind of subconsciously just absorb, okay, this is where I am geographically. Uh, so yeah, it's a very well put together, well thought out movie uh, in that regard. Uh, but I want to give a special shout out to Jan de Bont because uh, we got to talk about Connery's toupee for just a moment if we can. Because... <laughs> Uh, by that time, Connery was bald, and there were certain roles where he. Could I hadn't get away even with thought
0: that. of that. You're right; it has to be a toupee. <laughs> yeah, and he's got that
2: like silver fox sort of crew cut thing uh, that matches his beard, and uh, it costs like twenty thousand dollars. This toupee is what I read online. Uh, <laughs> but here's the thing. When they set it up, Connery being Connery, big fucking star that he is, uh, showed up on the first day and the toupee had like a like a ponytail attached to it. And McTiernan about lost his mind. He's like, What in the hell is this? he's like, my character has a ponytail. Get over it. I mean, that's literally like the conversation they had. So they had to <laughs> film. So it was one of the initial scenes on the sub. They film it. Uh and then they go to do another scene later, and Jan de Bont is laughing. And Connery's like, What are you laughing? He's like, Your ponytail, it looks like a limp phallus. And after that, no more ponytail. <laughs> <laughs> but they had to go back and reshoot that opening sequence, and it cost him that extra money. <laughs> so it's a $20,000 two pack. Oh. That's one of the yeah, nice yeah. things about Sean of, John Connery retiring to get Connery from. To get rid- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you look like, yeah, you look ridiculous. So, yeah. So, it's one of the thank nice you things. John DeBont. <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: that's a great story. Yeah. Um also want to shout out the second unit or whoever did the effect shots. So there's, you know, again, we're talking nineteen ninety here. This is all practical effects and, and optical compositing. And and yeah, some of the optical compositing is is kinda dodgy, but it's nineteen ninety. Yeah. But I mean the shots of the submarines navigating the trenches and the ocean and all of that, apparently all of that is done with smoke. They just filled some, some volume with smoke and used that to shoot models, and then they superimposed some particle swishy crap to make it look like they were underwater. Yeah. And they did all of this optically, and it holds up. These Smart. subs look great.
2: It does work, and I'm glad that they limited the number of exterior shots as well, because as Mm -hmm. Roger Ebert pointed out, I think it was in one of his reviews, he's like, submarines are not very photogenic. So (laughs) thankfully they kept that to a minimum, because it's murky water. They're just sort of all gray tubes. Uh, So they use them sparingly, thankfully, which I appreciate.
0: Although they did do uh, the most cinematic thing you can do with a submarine, which is to make it rise out of the water real damn fast and reach like a whale. Uh, Um, I wonder if that was a real real submarine to do like
1: 40 times in order to get that shot. It was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think think the Navy was like, you know, Top Gun did a lot for us. So yeah, we like this movie business. So they, Mm -hmm. they were all in on helping for this. Yeah. I don't think it cost
2: them a red cent though. I think it, I think the production company paid them almost four hundred grand for like fuel costs and stuff. In order there to was, there the was at least
1: one thing when they do like the uh, emergency um, surfacing of that submarine, they did that for the film. That wasn't stock footage. Okay.
0: There are a lot of real submarines. It was all shot off the coast of California, um, but yeah, there and a lot of the the extras are real submariners. Um, who, uh, it was easier to just have them take leave and go do stuff in the background and then it was to train extras to look like they knew what they were doing. Nice. Uh, so they did that and then they did the maneuver where they, where they breached
2: the, the sub a bunch of times to get that shot. Well, I love the fact that if it was done with the Navy's participation, but, uh, I like that they make all of the aviators in this movie complete douchebags. Like, one guy gets uh, airsick, uh, then they do the crash on the deck of the Enterprise or whatever. It's like none of the aviators can do their job. That's funny. Well, and like you guys, uh, anytime Rick Dukeman shows up in a movie, it's always a bright spot, and that was one of my <laughs> earliest memories of watching this Like opening night in the theater was when Rick Dukeman shows up as one of the helicopter dudes uh, yapping at Ryan during this ridiculously turbulent helicopter flight, talking about yakking, <laughs> and he's eating a candy bar, <laughs> and it's like, yes, yes, <laughs> it's a very bright moment in the whole movie. Uh, uh, but uh,
0: anyway, I didn't, you know, I didn't have a whole lot to to really, I didn't have an angle other than, hey, everybody, the hunt for Red October. Watch it again. Yeah. It's good. You know, that's my whole that's my whole if,
1: well, it's good if you haven't seen it before. I gotta say, I'm I'm a little bored by it. I, I, I I'm like, I know what this is and I don't ever need to see it again. You know? Mm. Well,
0: I, I I'm sort I was of struck in the middle. by how many times I apparently watched it in the past. Yeah. Like, I haven't seen this movie in probably, oh, I don't know, somewhere between twenty five and thirty years. Yeah. <laughs> and and yet when I watched it I realized I watched this movie a bunch, because
2: I remember and a lot of this stuff. <laughs> yeah. it's
0: it, it, it made its impression.
2: It, I, I watched it a lot when it had first come out, uh, theatrically, and then on, on its first video run, because by that time I was working at Blockbuster, so it was just one of those, oh, I'm bored, I'll just watch this. Yeah. Uh, but I hadn't seen it in a while. Occasionally, it shows up on TV, so I had seen it again recently, uh, but... I'm sort of in the middle. I, it doesn't thrill me like it used to, but it's still, I can watch the whole thing from start to finish and not get bored uh, just because it's well put together. Uh, mm. And like I said, I, I, I would put this up with uh, the top tier submarine movies uh, that sort of get those aspects of the, the submarine warfare relatively correct, I guess, or at least correct enough to make it look real. Uh, And that's what I appreciate about it. Uh, The one thing I want to know is: is I started watching this with my wife, and she's like, "Why in the hell is everybody smoking? Can you do that on a really on a (laughs) submarine?" Uh,
0: And I had to go look it up, and apparently they're not fond of firearms in submarines too. Yeah,
2: yeah, go ahead. But apparently they didn't do away completely with smoking on submarines until uh, it was like the late nineties, early two thousands, I think something ridiculous so up until that time you you could still smoke on a submarine and i'm like yeah i don't know if i would i would want to and i would certainly give the stink eye to anybody in proximity who was smoking while i was on a submarine with them because it's like dude yeah. i can smell it i'm on the backside of the boat and i can smell your cigarette just put that shit out you know what i mean but they're all smoking like chimneys uh <laughs> through the whole thing and then there's the bit where ryan finally gets on the boat and the chief Russian mechanic uh, gives him the smoke and Ryan like takes a puff and starts coughing and they don't make fun of him. Cause he's turning green. Cause <laughs> it's probably some mm-hmm. shitty Russian tobacco. I mean, there's all kinds of little moments like that. it's like, yeah, we get it. America's superior. Ha ha ha. So <laughs> we won the cold war. Yay. Uh,
0: <laughs> one, one thing that polluted my brain, uh, you know, stupid teenage me, uh, watching the movie back in 1990, uh, so, the, in the music, there is this Russian men's chorus and it closes out the, the movie. And in my brain, I was rewriting what they were singing. So it just was them singing, Fucking A!
1: Fucking A!
0: Fucking fuckin fuckin
2: That
0: fits. So I've ruined that for you now. You're welcome.
2: Well, I like that this is a, a total pastiche of other things that have worked in previous submarine movies. Uh, that's one thing I've noticed over the years. But the, that, that reminded me, because there's another movie with Robert Mitchum called The Enemy Below, where Mitchum plays a destroyer escort captain who's basically playing cat and mouse with a Nazi sub. And at one point, they've got the Nazi sub on its heels, uh, captained by Kurt Juergen, who was the baddie from Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, and so like a thousand feet below on the seafloor, just sort of waiting it out. And he finally just says, fuck it. And so they put on a record and they all start singing and it just echoes into uh, for October. Cause you've got the sonar guy going, I think I hear singing. And then they put it on the loudspeaker.
0: Fuckin yeah. Fuckity,
1: fuckin fuckity.
2: Oh. yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: and then anyway, well now that we've devolved into Robert Richem,
2: <laughs> Oh, Robert yeah, Richem, Robert Richem. Yeah: all, the other
0: fun of thought I, whatever.
2: The other fun bit of trivia. so Mili- John Milius wrote all of Sean Connery's uh, Russian speeches, but he didn't get credit, uh, which is probably why they're so good. And then <laughs> the other screenwriter, Larry Ferguson. Uh, apparently, McTiernan liked him so much during read-throughs when they were starting to set up scene staging and such, that he put him in the movie as the, the Dallas's chief officer. And so when he found out he was on the call sheet, he basically rewrote the character to be in every scene on the Dallas. So
0: so when you watch it, that's
2: why the chief of the boat is in every
1: scene shot on the Dallas because they let the screenwriter play the part.
2: (laughs) And that made me laugh. Yeah. What's
1: funny is he looks like a non-actor, which made me think he was real Navy. Yeah. Nope. He just uh, gooses lines up and... Gave
2: himself some more screen presence. Good job. Well done, <laughs> Larry. Yeah. Way to go. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the guy who
1: snaps his fingers when he says "Chief, tell the." I think know, so. Who, yeah, yeah. Blah yeah. blah with his sidearm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: so, do you do you think the movie has <laughs> aged well? We can end on that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I watched it again uh, last night and was shocked by how it didn't seem too dated to me like yeah. i was shocked that the pacing and the tone and it wasn't anachron. i mean it was anachronistic in that it was set in 1984 <clears throat> yeah but in a good way like it holds up
1: yeah i'd say production wise yeah it, it it doesn't look aged there's there aren't any conceits where you go well that's obviously bullshit but yeah you know, nothing like that i just don't care <laughs> that's the yeah. only thing i can say well and that's the that, double-edged sword uh, yeah because it's. I think the further away you get from global nuclear annihilation, the less pressing this film feels. Yeah. It definitely hasn't an, mm. an anachronistic quality about it
2: 30 years later. Because if you watch something like Ice Station Zebra, it's the same feel. It's like, yeah. uh, you know, that's a giant CinemaScope movie uh, full of intrigue and whatnot. But you watch it now, you're like, ah, who no, who cares?
1: Yeah. <laughs> nobody, nobody could. excited. exciting. <laughs> Nobody could make, really, a um, Cuban Missile Crisis movie until after the Cold War because people were shitting their pants thinking about how real this almost got, you (laughs) know? It's true, yeah. Yeah. The idea that, like, in even 19, I think 1989- uh 86 in 86 we 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 came the closest we ever came to a full thermonuclear war because of mistaken communications you know it's like the entire period of the cold war there were all these almost everyone on the planet fucking died and so when you have a movie like this where you're approaching the brink it's got a lot of tension but without that eh. yeah yeah well, it's sort of like yeah. If you watch
2: Failsafe or something now, it's sort of quaint almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, I get that. Okay. Uh, would you say this is McTiernan's best movie?
1: Oh, I mean Die Hard. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Mm. So I'd say. I'd say. I'd say it's definitely a neck and neck between uh, this and Last Action Hero. Certainly, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: but not Medicine Man.
0: You found a cure for cancer. <laughs>
1: God damn it! <laughs> oh, that's my new ringtone. I gotta go find yeah. that. <laughs> well, I'm glad we won the Cold War.
2: Hooray! Thanks for uh, letting us watch this one Yay, again, if you, Yeah, if you have
0: an opinion about what John McTiernan's best movie was, uh, hit us up. We're on Twitter. We're at MagHuge. Uh, we're on Facebook. for the Magnificently Huge Podcast. We're on Instagram. Fuck. and. it, Fuck it, <laughs> <Fuck you day. laughs> <laughs> Go to our website maghuge.com find all the episodes of the podcast okay, share okay, it with your friends subscribe okay. to the podcast we'll see you again <laughs> next week fucking
1: <laughs> <laughs>